postcard type flyer that has some more information in the website. Um, so if you're interested in the Bible school, it is accredited. It's not free, but it, uh, comparatively to education, it's very affordable. So um, if that's something that interests you, uh, feel free to look into it. If you have any questions, you can you can reach out. Well, we've been working through the parables of Jesus, as, as you know, for really the rest of this year. And uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about the parable of the yeast. And so let's take a moment and read that together. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. If you're curious, it's also located in Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. But we're going to be focusing on the Matthew um, 13 So he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Um, oh. So this morning we're going to uh, uh, look at this parable, but before we jump into it, we're going to take a moment to understand what yeast is and what it does. And this morning to help uh, illustrate all of this, I have a I have a beautiful assistant who's coming up to help me. Um, if you didn't know, this is my wife who's coming, and uh, she's going to help uh, with the visual of this parable. A woman who needed yeast into dough. So uh, I'm just going to keep preaching. She's just going to she's just going to make dough. Okay, so feel free, um, or make a mess, one or the other, yeah. But pay attention to me, though. I don't want you to pay attention to her. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, well, uh, yeast is, there we go. Yeast is a single cell organism. It's part of the fungi family, which is what um, uh, mushrooms I'm just going to turn my phone off because it's not. Sorry, guys, we're having technical stuff. <clears throat> it's part of the fungi family, which is where mushrooms and whatnot are also part of. In one gram of yeast, do you have those yeast packs? So when you buy yeast at the grocery store, it comes like this. In, in this yeast pack, there's seven grams uh, of yeast. How many cells of yeast do you think is in this is in this little seven gram package? Good guess. So approximately twenty billion cells are in a gram. So one hundred and forty billion cells in this little pack that you buy at the grocery store. It's a lot, I think, anyway. So. Uh, there are thousands of species, uh, wild and domesticated. They have labeled about 1,500 different species of yeast, uh, but there are thousands more. Um, it, yeast needs uh, food, it needs warmth, and it needs moisture in order to survive. Um, the common yeast that is in that packet uh, uh, that we use, it feeds on sugars and it feeds on starches. That's the food that it needs to 
survive. And the byproduct of this, as, uh, as the yeast is consuming sugars, whether those sugars be a, a, a glu glu glucose or fructose or the starches, whatnot, it produces a CO2 gas, it produces ethyl alcohol, and a few uh, various acids, okay? And typically, we see it used in the making of bread, beer, and wine. So generally, that's what yeast is. And I think it's important for us to grasp um, this because back when this parable was shared, uh, this was common. This was an everyday household chore. Like, like it would be as if, as if Jesus was telling us a parable about how to put gas in your car. Like, we, we all know how to go to the pump and flick the lever and put it in and put your credit card in, right? Like, just, it's normal. This was like that back in the day. Like, every household, every woman knew how to make bread, fold in the yeast. It was just a daily or every other day chore. So, uh, because we're, we're moved from that, some of you are bakers, some of you understand it, but most of us go to the grocery store and we just buy a loaf of bread, right? So, um, in bread... The CO2, the gas that's produced, is trapped in little tiny pockets in the dough, in the, in the gluten. And because it's stretchy, right, if you've ever, and you'll see, that's um, why I hate making doughy stuff, because as you're working with it, like, sticks to your fingers, and right, it's just, I, I don't know how, I, I know there's a baker's trick to it, but when I'm working with, it, with the dough and you're kneading, you like, it sticks and it's all on your hands, and, but... The reason it's that way is when the gas gives off, it, the dough stretches. Think of it like blowing air into a balloon. That stretchy part of the dough captures the air, and it, it just forces it to expand like a balloon. So all these little tiny pockets forces the dough to rise. Okay? Um, the alcohol that, it, that the yeast puts off is burned off when it's baked. And that burning off of the alcohol is what... Is, does two things. It gives the aroma of baked bread, which I love, right? Just that smell of fresh baked bread. Oh, man. Makes me want to get a slab of butter and anyway. But it also contributes to the taste. Like if you've ever had uh, bread that has no yeast or no anything else, just flour, water, and baked, it has no taste, right? But you have other, other breads that just have this great flavor. That's the flavor of, that's, well, it's other things, but the alcohol being burned off leaves a flavor in the bread. So, obviously in wine or beer production, the CO2 gases escape, and the alcohol is retained in the liquid, with the exception of your sparkling drinks like champagne. Um, there's a process to hold that in there. But it's a couple weeks ago, Pastor Sean talked about the parable of the wineskin. And so when, when the wine was being made and the CO2 gases were being left off, let out, it would cause the skin to swell and stretch because it's letting off, off the gases. And once the skin had been stretched to its extreme, you couldn't use it again because there was no stretch left. And that's why um, new wine, new wineskins. So, um, hence parable of the wineskins. So, Here's an interesting fact that I thought when, as I was looking it up. Uh, in bread, a small amount of yeast left over a long period of time is better than a lot of yeast for a quick rise. And the reason was this, that too much yeast caused the rapid, uh, 
expulsion, whatever, of gases. And that was actually kind of like blowing up a balloon too fast, too powerfully, it would pop. And that happens to the glutens, those, those little stacks that hold on to the gas just deteriorate, break down and pop open, and then the, the loaf just falls. And so it's actually better for the yeast, a small amount, to rise like over 24 hours. And it actually, a slow rise ensures the strength and the integrity of the bread, which is super interesting as we talk about this parable. So now that you kind of have a, uh, a verbal understanding of what yeast does, and you're, you're watching a visual one, uh, we're going to talk about Hebrew writing. So most Hebrew writings, which when you read in scripture, and uh, non-scripture Hebrew writings, take a negative posture or view of yeast. And here's why. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, it says, For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. And this is an instruction as it relates to the Passover. And then in verse, uh, uh, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. That's crazy. So what he's saying is if we were to eat this bread that Lorraine makes within the, during the Passover period of time, we would be kicked out of the community of believers. That's pretty strong, strong, right? So, uh, and verse 39 tells us the reason why this was so. We can go... With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. So dough with yeast takes time to rise. So they were driven out of Egypt and unable to make the dough and give it the time to rise and then bake it. So they had to make bread without yeast on their way out. So it's a memorial for them that, uh, hey, when we were driven out of Egypt, we had to eat bread without, without yeast. So that's the reason for the memorial. But again, let's move on to some other Old Testament scriptures about yeast. In Exodus chapter 23, uh, verse 18, it says, Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Yeah, that's, that's God speaking to the Israelites like, hey, if you're going to make a blood sacrifice... I don't want anything with yeast even connected to that sacrifice. Uh, and then in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in a food offering presented to the Lord. So you see it's building this thing like, man, what does God have against yeast? Right? Or why doesn't he allow yeast when it comes to sacrifice or offering? What? That's why. That's just those little pockets that hold the gas. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, it says, Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days the unleavened, unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Yeah, I, I don't like bread without yeast either. But because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure, from Egypt. So in the Old Testament, there's this, uh, hey, uh, any sacrifice to the Lord, anything connected with the Lord, like this memorial, like don't use yeast. So any of the comparisons in Hebrew literature um, had this negative kind of posture as it relates to yeast. And in fact, Paul, when he's talking
talking about a, a sin in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, he wrote to the Corinthian church this. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new, unleavened batch, as, really, as you really are. For Christ has... Slow down. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, uh, the person who's sinning, that sin that you're allowing or even boasting about within your congregation and your community, like, that little bit is going to grow like yeast in bread. It's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin the whole loaf. You need to get rid of it. And so he makes this, again, he uses yeast in a negative posture um, or connotation. But it is true, right? I mean, the old yeast of our previous life and previous sin, if we allow it to continue, it corrupts our life. Not only personally, but it, it corrupts us corporately uh, as well. So this idea of yeast in biblical writing, it's this, a small, barely perceptible thing that would spread and affect everything. That's kind of the analogy of what, how yeast is used uh, metaphorically, not, not actually, because that's what it does. It's so small, but yet when it's added to it, it, it expands and it, it takes over and it affects the entire thing. And so um, it was understood symbolically for negative things like sin, disease, plagues, um, a small thing that just takes over. Now, knowing this, let's read, let's read the parable again in Matthew 13, 33. If you're wondering why I look back, oftentimes I have the slide in front of me, except when the technology is not working. So, um, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a beautiful woman took and mixed into about, that's not 60 pounds of flour, but about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The actual Greek language there says three measures, um, and that measure was a peck and a half. You're like, well, okay, what does that mean? Um, a peck and a half is roughly 144 cups. How many cups would you need? Three. So, which... See how much work it is for, for three cups to four cups of flour. So it's interesting notes because the amount of flour uh, is hyperbole or it's communicating something else because 144 cups or 60 pounds as what's translated here is enough to make about 50 loaves of bread. There's no living person who could need that much dough. I, I think one commentator said you would need a Hobart uh, mixing machine that, that held 100 gallons and would need a, one of those dough uh, hooks the size of somebody's leg in order to actually turn and knead a, uh, that much dough. And so it's kind of an interesting, like, why did Jesus use that term, 60 pounds or three measures, which was a lot of dough. The other interesting thing, that he compared the kingdom of God to a woman's daily chore. And you're like, so so what? Back then, like that would have been ins insulting. Because women were possessions. And it was a mundane daily chore of making bread. 
every day, you should have to get up, knead the dough, set it up, let it rise, bake it for the family. It was just a daily chore. She was like, this kingdom of God, it's like a woman baking bread. Like, what? What? Like, instead of not like, hey, it's like a great warrior coming in on a horse with a sword having, after vanquishing armies. Like, it, that's what most, you know, yeah, yeah, kingdom of God, but it's like a woman doing her daily chores. So another interesting fact of why did Jesus pick that and said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And lastly, he used yeast for the first time in what we know as not a negative posture. It's positive posture. And I'm going to give you just some of my thoughts on those. On those. Um, it's not the main point, uh, but what... Somebody's having fresh bread after for dinner tonight. Um, some of the some of the thoughts is every parable has side thoughts. Sean and I were having a conversation about this earlier in the week. Like sometimes as we've been searching out these parables, uh, if you're true to and, and do your homework, you can really find what God was in that moment was trying to communicate to those people who were there right then. And you sh- that should be every. Um, uh, deliver communicator's job and role is to discover, find out what was Jesus trying to communicate right then and there. But almost always there's some other secondary peripheral meanings and things that you can extrapolate from it. And uh, sometimes it's, those are way more exciting sometimes than the actual main point Jesus was making. Uh, so these are some side things just from me. Is First of all, the fact that yeast was viewed negatively, I think Jesus was saying, hey, uh, the yeast of the kingdom of God, it's going to mess up your whole system. Like, it's not going to be a positive thing to the current system. It's going to change it. It's going to alter it. It's going to affect the whole thing. Um, we see it as a, as a positive thing, like, hey, it's like yeast, a good thing, the kingdom of God, it's going to spread. And it is a good thing. But to the current system, it was not a good thing. Um, second thing, the amount of flour used... Uh, 144 cups of flour. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of flour. And so I think Jesus was saying, hey, um, this yeast of the kingdom of God, it's not going to be a small thing. It's not going to be just for Jerusalem or just for Israel. It's going to be it's going to be a lot. It's going to be really for everybody. It's going to it's it's really going to infect not just uh, the daily bread, so to speak, but it's it's going to go out for the whole world. It's going to it's it's for everyone. And I don't mean to say that the kingdom of God is given to everybody. It's going to be available to everybody. It's going to spread everywhere. It's, it's, it has no limits, so to speak. And then when it comes to um, the kingdom of God compared to a woman's daily chore, that it wasn't just location he was talking about. It, it was also people groups. Because later on, we, we see this, the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. God is, uh, is going to cross uh, all, all gender, cultural, national lines. It's not just for the Israelites, nor for the hierarchy. Also in this, Jesus again honored women. Because regardless of what Hebrew culture was in the time, and other cultures since where um, women have been viewed as second-class citizens, those kinds of things, Jesus never did that. Jesus never uh, prioritized 
men over women. Um, that's a whole other sermon for another point. So those are just some side interesting things as, as you make observations. So let's dig into the actual parable itself. The kingdom of God is like, uh, we, we say this a lot, but I, I got to make sure that we all really understand what is the kingdom of God. Well, a kingdom is a place that a sovereign or a king reigns and rules, right? That's what a kingdom is. And so where's the place that the sovereign God reigns and rules? It's in the hearts and lives of men and women. I mean, yes, God is sovereign over all his creation, right? But here, where does he reign and rule? Where is he seeking to reign and rule? He's seeking to reign and rule us. He's seeking to reign and rule us in our hearts and in our, our minds. And so when he talks about the kingdom of God is like yeast that's worked into the dough. And remember, yeast is a small, almost invisible uh, thing that affects the whole. So he's saying a small, almost invisible beginning that will result in a spectacular transformation. That's what the kingdom of God is like. This thing that seems so small and so, what could that do? What could that, how could that even make a difference? Well, it does. It starts small, rises slowly into a spectacular transformation. And I think that there's two, um, there's, there's two ways we can look at this. First of all, it was prophetic. Jesus was saying, hey, me and my 12 disciples seem small and insignificant. We seem like a thorn in the side of the Pharisees into the normative of Jewish society. But this little, small, almost invisible thing is going to transform the entire world. It's going to start small. It's going to seem barely like a flip on the, a blip on the radar, but it's, it's going to change everything. But it also, um, it also has an instructional component to it well. And that's this. When you and I allow the yeast of God, which is the reign and rule of God in our hearts, when we allow that in our lives and we maintain the proper environment for it, it will affect every area of our lives, resulting in a spectacular transformation. But there are some key things here. Okay? Because um, Lori has has added the yeast to this but it has to be in the right environment for that, trans for that transformation to happen it needs moisture it needs warmth she added the food but it needs those things and the sure way I, we can stop that process if I put that in the freezer it will not rise maybe I put it in the refrigerator it slows it down and so there is a little bit of a responsibility that when we can al allow the yeast of the kingdom of God to work in our hearts, but then we have to make sure we're in the right environment for that to do its work. We have to, we have to maintain that environment. And it's not that we're doing the work of God, doing the spectacular transformation. We're maintaining, we're making sure we're in the right places and in the right times and those kinds of things so that the kingdom of God can have its work within us in truly a spectacular transformation. This is true individually, and this is true uh, corporately and in a community. 
proper environment has to be maintained. And then an invitation for the yeast to be in our lives and working within us has to happen as well. So, the question for me is, how does God, um, how does the yeast of God work its way into our lives? Like, using the yeast analogy and, and, and the parable here, how does the yeast get within us? Um, uh, let's talk about grapes for a minute. You guys have the picture of the grapes? So this is a picture I took um, years and years ago. But how many of you have ever grapes? Most of us, I'm assuming, or at least eaten grapes. If you look, almost every single grape, it's, it's easily seen on the darker the grape, the more purple it is. There's this white outer coating, right? Uh, growing up, I used to think that was the pesticides that the farmers sprayed to keep the bugs off. So I would try to wash every grape, like, this is nasty, I'm not eating this pesticide. But then I discovered something when I went to France. This is actually a vineyard in France. And, I, and we had a tour, and then we started out in the field. And the white stuff on the outside of the grape is what they call bloom. But within the bloom, there's a waxy substance and whatnot, is yeast. And so the yeast attaches itself to the outside of the grape. And there is a thick skin between the grape juice and the yeast. And so how do... How does the yeast and the juice mix so that wine can start to be made? Let's roll the video. funny clip to illustrate the fact that uh, in order to mix the two is the grape has to be crushed. Right? And in the crushing process, the yeast and the juice are allowed to mix and the wine process begins. Um, lots of thoughts around, and I'm not going to preach on it today, but the drinking of alcohol, is it a sin or is it not a sin? I find it interesting that when God created grapes, put the yeast on the grape to make the wine so the wine would be made when the crushing occurred. Make it where you want. Um, so I just find that an interesting fact. But um, the, the, the juice and the yeast do not mix until the grape is crushed. 
and that thick outer skin is removed. Hmm. So what's, let me ask you this. You, we, you watched Laurie make dough. What's the similarity between the dough-making process and the wine-making process as it relates to the yeast? Pressure. Working it. Right? It required, it required this, which is the labor-intensive piece of taking the dough and folding it over and pounding it and then folding it over again and pounding it and folding it over again and pounding it that's called kneading, the kneading of the dough. Now, we have machines now. We can throw all that stuff in. We press a button, and this thing spins and mixes the dough, and all that's great. But the, the process is the same. It's folding the dough over, pounding it, folding it, pounding it, folding it, pounding it. And in that process, the, the yeast works its way through the whole dough, through the whole batch. I find it interesting that... Uh, the process of yeast and getting into the food to make a good product requires crushing, pounding, folding, kneading. I don't think that that's a coincidence in the parable. Right? Because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, we would read that and go, blessed when I'm persecuted? None of us enjoy that. I don't want to be persecuted and made fun of because of this and, and Jesus and those kinds of things, but he says, you're, you're in a blessed position because of that. I think Jesus knows that when that's happening in our lives, that's a bit of a, of a crushing, that's a bit of a folding, that's a bit of a pounding. Something else is taking place as well. Peter writes about it too in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It's amazing. Because what we learned was when it comes to bread making, when the yeast is kneaded into the dough, the small amount of yeast that comes and begins to grow is actually what in, entails the strength and the, and, and the, of, of the loaf of bread. And so we have even uh, um, Peter here who's writing, and he says, listen, after you've suffered a little bit, uh, listen, this is what's going to happen. After a little while, he'll restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Which insinuates that before you were not strong, firm, or steadfast. Right? There's an uncomfortable process of the kingdom of God working in us. 
I have never grown in God uh, when the sky was blue and the temperatures were like mid-70s and I'm just enjoying the back deck with an iced coffee. Now, I enjoy those moments. Those are restful. They're peaceful. They're all those kinds of things. But the kingdom of God does not further advance in my life in those conditions. The kingdom of God advances in my life when I am being pounded, when I'm being crushed, when I'm enduring trials and hardships and tribulations. And I, I learn stuff about myself. I, I learn to fall on God. I cry out to Him. I, 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 it alerts me to areas in my own life that I'm off base and sinful. And, and maybe that's God's removing the tough skin of my sinful life, or He's removing the bad yeast that Paul talked about to the Corinthian church. But it's an uncomfortable process. And two things I know for sure it often involves hardship, trials, or persecution. And it's often slow. It never goes away when I want it to. It's like, really, God, how long is this going to go on for? Right? God says, hey, the slower the process, the better it is for you. We can feel crushed and folded over by God in life. I'm wondering if you've ever felt that way as it relates to the kingdom of God in your life. When your when you're faith, when your belief in God, when, when you trying to do what's right and true and holy before God becomes in, comes in conflict somewhere next thing you know, you have all of this turmoil and whatnot. It would just be easier if I just gave up on it. It would just be easier if I threw in the towel, if I just stopped pressing in, if I just stopped trying this transformation. Right? As soon as you stop trying to do something you know God has asked you to stop doing, all of a sudden like, man, all hell breaks loose. Anyone ever had that experience? Right? Why is that? You're being folded. You're being crushed. You're being pounded. And we can get in a huge theological debate over whether God's doing the pounding or the, the circumstances are doing the pounding or he's allowing the devil to do the pounding. You know what? For what we're talking about now, I don't think it matters. What we're talking about is that the process of the yeast, the kingdom of God, when we allow God to reign and rule in our heart, when we say, God, you are my, not just my Savior, but you're my Lord. There's a difference, right? Between Savior and Lord. A lifeguard can be my Savior. Doesn't mean I'm going to listen to how to live my life. When, when we recognize that Jesus Christ is our Savior and we make Him our Lord, when we make Him our Lord, it means we've made a decision to allow Him to, to dictate, direct, to inform our decisions in our life. Knowing and trusting that He will lead us into what is good, to what, what is right, to what is true, to an eternal life and a home with Him in heaven. And so when we make him our Lord, he says, okay, there's a lot of areas in your life where I'm not Lord. And you won't give that to me. And that's standing in the way. So he walks us through this process. The yeast of his kingdom 
It gets into our heart and it gets into every area of our life. It starts off in one area and transformation happens. But I know the direct results of not kneading dough enough. If you've ever baked and you haven't, I mean, if Lori just added the yeast, mixed it up, and like folded it over twice and then put it in here, it would rise like, and it would be done. Because it hasn't worked through the whole dough. It's just worked through a little area. That area rises, but the rest goes dormant. So the process of working it through the whole area requires a consistent pressure, a consistent folding over, a consistent pounding on, a consistent pressure, as was said. It's just this consistent life of this happening. And you're like, wow, such an incredible, encouraging sermon, Pastor Steve. I'm not saying that every day of your life needs to be this constant turnover and pressure and pounding from God or some other source. What I'm saying is, though, that our life has, is, that's going to be in our life continually, seasons where God's pressing us, pushing us, folding us, because he's wanting the yeast of his kingdom to get into an area of our life that we're not allowing it. And the, the quicker you you submit and you invite and you allow the yeast of God's kingdom, the reign and rule of his lordship in your life in that area, the quicker that pounding is going to be done. And then transformation begins to happen in that area of your life. And folks, this is the kingdom of God in the here and now. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And not just say, Jesus is my Savior, I'm so happy and grateful. It's a life of allowing the Lord to lead us, to actually mean He is Lord of my life. He's going to direct my steps. He's going to transform me. He's going to get in there and He's going to work out some really ugly things that are in me. And if, if we can't acknowledge and say, I have some ugliness in here, even though I've asked Jesus into my life, and even though I've said, hey, I want him to be my Lord and Savior, there still exists an ugliness in areas of our heart and our lives that he needs to penetrate and sanctify and transform. In the Christian life, the follower of Jesus Christ recognizes and actually invites the Lord's work into our lives and says, Lord, uh, fold me over. Because as Peter says, if I've suffered a little while, he's going to restore me, and I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to be steadfast. And so I'm going to subject myself to the work of the Lord. Paul, Paul writes about this, and some people call him a masochist. He goes, I, I rejoice in trials and tribulations because I know that the working of these things in my life produces something that I could never do on my own. And so, yes, the promise of God, is, uh, the yeast of, of the kingdom of God is, is a spectacular transformation. I mean, all of us, even though yeast on its own, none of us really likes the thought. Like, um, like I'm sure there's very few people who actually just eat yeast with nothing else, right? That's a little icky. But all of us love yeast. I, I love bread. Um, and for those who, who love a good glass of wine or a beer, like that, those things are not possible without yeast. 
breath flow. This God, do a new thing in my life. Let me come alive to, to who you are, that this removing of a, like a stagnancy. Oftentimes in scripture we hear it talked about new or fresh bread or new wine. that new bread and that new wine comes about when we, we allow and we invite the, the Lord and the kingdom of God into the different arenas of our life. The reign and rule of God in your life is like yeast. It works to affect your whole life, your whole being. You can't compartmentalize the kingdom of God in your life. You can't say, I'm you know what, I love going to church on Sunday and I have my church friends and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then, man, on Tuesday night, I hang out with the guys and we party and we womanize and we do this stuff and that's fun too. And I can separate, I can keep the two separate. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Or, or ladies, I mean, there's, I can use men analogies because I'm a guy, right? But, but for any of us, you can't compartmentalize, you can't act like Jesus on Sunday to act like Satan on Monday and be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to say, I don't like the fact that I act like Satan on Monday. God, will you do your work in me? And God says, yeah. Ready for some morning? Yeast of my kingdom is going to get in there, but it's not going to be comfortable. And I hear people joke sometimes like, hey, don't ask the Lord for patience because he's going to test you in that. Like, Yep. That's the pounding of patience into your life. But we have to stop as people of God of fearing those things. We've got to invite that and say, God, bring the pounding. Bring the folding. Like, not that we're like some masochist, but we know that what it's going to produce in our life. And we look to that and say, that's, that's where I want to be. And if it's going to be some temporary suffering and some temporary hardship and some temporary struggle, sign me up. Because I know it's temporary. But I know on the other end I'm going to be so much stronger. And I know we understand these things in other arenas of life. We understand it when we're talking about um, wanting to be healthier, like how we eat. Or, um, or Malcolm, he's coming over off of surgery. He has to go through physical therapy, I'm sure, right? There's some stuff, and that's painful. I'm sure the physical therapist is like, he's like, no, I can do this. He's like, no, you can do farther. <gasps> right? And you're like, ah. You know, like, right? And just. <laughs> You've had physical therapy, right? Some of those people seem like the devil. <laughs> but it's going through that pain that makes them stronger. It's, it's the person who's working out to become stronger. I mean, I remember the first time I lifted weights, the next day I was like, ah. Ow, right? You're just, you're sore. You're, but in your mind, you know this is the process for me to be stronger. If you want the yeast of the kingdom of God to come into a spectacular transformation in your life, the process involves some kneading, some crushing, some trials, some occasions where you're going to be folded over. What's that? No pain, no gain. And I want to challenge you. This is the challenge for today. Uh, th 
the yeast of the kingdom of God does not fail. It never gets old. It never goes dormant. It never dies like natural yeast. It is will always produce in you. Okay? But, but you can choose to put yourself in an environment where it's no longer active. You can stop coming to church. You can stop being living a disciplined uh, life in your devotions with the Lord. You can stop praying. You can stop seeking Him. You can stop worshiping Him. You can start hanging around with people who are far from God. You can start doing these things and it will remove you from the environment to where the yeast of the kingdom just goes dormant in your life. And so I challenge you, when you're feeling like, ah, my life is dry, I'm not really growing, I feel dead, throw yourself into the environment of the kingdom of God. Because chances are that yeast has gone dormant in your life. If you continue to worship and trust God, you continue to stand firm in faith and love. And, and let me tell you, all those things are not feelings. They're decisions. We, we go way too much off. I don't feel like loving somebody. God didn't tell you if you feel like loving somebody. Well, I don't feel like my faith in God. It's just I don't feel it anymore. Like He didn't talk about feelings. He said you just trust. So I don't feel like trusting. It doesn't don't care. Don't care. Trust. I don't feel like worshiping God today. Don't don't care. You just worship anyway. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your emotions. Guess what? After I work out, the next morning when I get up, I don't really want to go work out again. I'm sore. I'm tired. And it's in those moments when I push myself and I do it anyway that I feel great afterwards. It is the same in the kingdom of God. You, you do it regardless of how you feel. And the result will be in your life, fresh bread and new wine, not only in your personal life, but in your church, in your community, and in the greater part of the world. Because the yeast of the kingdom of God does not fail. It starts off and it affects everything. challenge for us today is will you will you allow the yeast of the kingdom of God because there's other yeast Paul talked about it, like hey that person in your church that's having uh, uh, sex with his father's wife um, that's wrong he needs to stop or kick him out because that's going to affect the whole community so there's there's bad yeast too so the challenge is what what yeast is working into your life? And second, will you allow the yeast of the kingdom of God to work in every arena of your life? When God becomes knocking at that door, will you say, yes, Lord, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but please, I, I, I want all that you have for me. And I'm going to respond how you want, because I know that you love, you trust, you're my Lord. And you will not lead me into anything that is good that will harm me. And any harm, it, when I'm following, Christ, here's the big one, as you're following the Lord, if you feel like my following the Lord is bringing me harm, guess what? That's the pounding and the trials and the tribulations. That's not the Lord harming you. There's probably something in your life that needs to go. 
Because God doesn't harm you just for fun. He's not like, yeah, you really ticked me off three years ago, so I'm just going to give it to you. That's not, that's not how God operates. There'll be a judgment day, but that's not today. Every discipline that God does with us, every hardship, every trial he leads us through is for our, our benefit and for his glory. So, my, uh, again, I guess I chat, I'm going to close and pray for you. Please allow the yeast of the kingdom of God to affect every area of your life. You're very, you're, you're all smart enough to know the areas of your life that you have not let God into. That you're going to hold on to this area. God, don't touch that. That hurts too much. I like that too much. Whatever it is, um, you know those areas when God creeps in and you're like, nope, that's a no-go, that's a no-fly zone. you got to start letting God in those areas. And watch, watch the amazing, spectacular transformation that God does your life and the people around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the kingdom of God is like yeast. That it, uh, it, it, it gets in in every area uh, of our life. It affects and it transforms and it changes. Um, and Lord, you said the kingdom of God would be this way. and It, was, it had a prophetic uh, tone to it that yes, what seemed so small and insignificant with uh, Jesus and a few disciples ended up changing the entire world and all of history. But it's also instructional that if we will invite the yeast, the kingdom of God into our lives and give it, give it access to every corner of our life, that it would take over and transform and create a beautiful thing, a beautiful product to the glory of God. Lord, today we pray that you'd give us the strength and the courage and the awareness of those areas of our life that we need to give over to you and allow you to come in and do your work. Lord, we pray for your, your comfort and your strength as we go through the hard parts, the, the proverbial poundings or crushings or hardships that, that come with the yeast working its way into our hearts. Lord, remind us, just like a sore muscle after a good workout, that this is a good thing, that it's leading us to strength, it's leading us to steadfastness, it's leading us Lord, as we as a community invite that into our lives personally and also invite that into our lives corporately, Lord, that we would see a radical transformation in our lives, in our community, eventually in our world. Lord, we give you all the honor, glory, and praise this morning in your precious name. Amen. Amen, church. Really good to see you this morning. Um, God bless.